I want to talk about the ways that we can bring loving kindness into our day, whether we're at home or we're at work. And it comes back in some ways to the story we may tell about what our lives are about. I think we do often have a kind of theme or motto almost that defines our sense of who we are and what we're committed to and what we think we're capable of and so on. I think sometimes back to the founding of the Insight Meditation Society, which I co-founded with Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield in 1976. And before then, when we were touring the East Coast looking for property to establish a meditation center in, we went up and down the East Coast and we looked at these various places and finally somebody directed us to this Catholic novitiate in Barry, Massachusetts. And we looked at the place and we thought, in so many ways, this looks perfect. It's really pretty here. It's very serene. Nothing much happening here. But the other side of it was that it seemed really big and it, it sleeps about 100 people. And we had each, Joseph and I, from India, Jack from Thailand, recently come back from Asia. And it was not at all clear how many people in this country would want to learn meditation or this, these forms of meditation. And so we went to downtown Barry for lunch in order to try to figure it out. And Barry is a very classic New England town with a town green just in the center of it. And in those days, there was a monument on the town green, which had the Barry town motto on it, which was tranquil and alert. So we took a look at that and we said, okay, any town that has a motto like tranquil and alert should have a meditation center in it. Because not only do we talk about those qualities always as components of, of what are developed in meditation, but we talk about the balancing of them. We get calmer and more tranquil and more peaceful and also more interested and alive and alert. It's both aspects. So we went ahead and did it. We bought the property. And then one day I was reading the history of the town of Barry. And it turned out that the main building of the property that we bought, the novitiate, had been built first, and that was built as a private home. It was built as a mansion by somebody who at one point was lieutenant governor of Massachusetts, and his name was Colonel Gaston. And he had a motto also, which was, you should live every day so you can look any damn man in the eye and tell him to go to hell. I love telling these two stories in juxtaposition because I do think that we so often have some ideas, some encapsulation of our deepest values. What do we live our life by? And is it that we live so that we can look any damn man in the eye and tell him to go to hell? Is it that we have a sense of tranquility and alertness? Is it that we want to be a force for good? that we want to help provide reconciliation in this world, that we want to help people see the good? And that's a very profound question to be able to look within to see if there's a kind of theme or motto that guides what we do, what we say, what we refrain from doing or saying, and just hold it, you know, hold it in awareness. And, see it from different dimensions. Sometimes 
that sense of amata, which is like our aspiration, is very small. It's very meager. And we need to expand it, the sense of possibility. Often it's too specific. It's too precise. Like, I want to make a lot of money or I want success in the eyes of others. But really, nobody wants piles of money around. We want what money represents to us, safety, leisure, freedom, whatever it is. And if we can get to that level to see what that deepest aspiration is and the story we tell ourselves about our lives, then we have the possibility of expanding. There are lots of ways, perhaps, of having a greater sense of freedom and safety and even leisure. Accumulating money may be one of them, but it may not be the only one by any means. And so we often look for that sense of of deepest aspiration, the theme, the motto that we are building our actions around and see if we can stretch it, you know, and also deepen it at the same time. And the way that manifests in our lives, let's say at work, is by looking for our motivation before a big meeting, before uh, an important conversation, before we're about to mentor somebody or, or supervise them in some way. And here too, when I go into an organization to teach, I might often suggest, well, before these occasions, you know, the big meeting, the, the big phone call, something like that, why don't you ask yourself, what do I want to see come out of this more than anything? Do I want to be seen as right? Do I want to have a resolution? Do I want to help this? Do I want to help this person? Do I want to grind them into dust? You know, like, uh, and you can be honest and kind to yourself. You don't have to judge yourself. But really take a look. It's just like a pivot of awareness to understand what our motive is. And that will show us over time really what that story is as well. You know, what that deepest motivation is. And how about, just, just as an experiment, See if you can make it a story of loving kindness, that I want to be a force in this world, in this job, in this place where I am able to express support, where I am able to remember that our lives are all connected, our work is all connected. And even as any one of us strives for individual excellence, and we should, we can recognize how many others we are relying on and have much more of a sense of functioning as a team. There's every possibility of bringing forth these qualities into the workplace. How do we listen to one another? Do we remember to thank people? Do we acknowledge the work that is really supporting all of us? Do we have a sense of confidence? in the power of affirming somebody and helping them see maybe qualities in themselves they can't see right away and helping bring them forth. I did this program once um, for about four years, actually working first with domestic violence shelter workers, frontline workers, and then finally directors and supervisors of shelters 
where we did a kind of parallel program. And we were bringing, we were offering the tools of meditation, both mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and yoga or mindful movement. And I think there's a lot that we can extrapolate from my experience there that would be interesting to just talk to you about. First is we began with a kind of survey we asked people to do, they were journaling. And in the first column, we asked people, why don't you write down the most stressful thing about work? And just take a look at what you wrote down. And that was interesting because people often um, were surprised. You know, it wasn't even like the intractable suffering they were trying to deal with in terms of clients and so on. It was like bad communication with colleagues. That was really the worst thing. And then in the second column, we said, why don't you write down that which you do to get a break, to have some resilience, to change your perspective on things. Just write it down. And I think for four years, every single person wrote down, listen to music, although it was all kinds of different music. Sometimes people wrote down, I get out in nature. Sometimes people wrote down, I drink a lot, something like that. And then in the third and final column, we asked people, well, look back at that second column at what you wrote down about what you do to get a break and write down your reaction to what you wrote down. <clears throat> and that was really fascinating for people. Somebody, and I swear this is true, had written down, I get out of nature and then their comment on it was, I haven't done it in seven years. So think of that. And then some of these people had written down, I drink a lot. And they took a look at that and they said, that's not so good. And then we said, okay, you know, it's up to you. Maybe you want to pick up things you haven't done so much <laughs> recently. And here are some other tools. Meditation, yoga which you can explore, you can experiment with and consider. And somewhere along the way, when we were working with the directors and supervisors of programs, one of them coined a phrase, which was a culture of wellness at work, how to create a culture of wellness at work. And some people had very different ideas. You know, I'm going to have a rooftop garden. Everybody talked about an atmosphere of respect where people, whatever they did, were acknowledged as part of the team, they were cared for, they were responded to. And interestingly, everybody also mentioned some physical space open to anybody where people could just go and chill. And then I'll just leave you with this thought which really has to do with having love and loving kindness for ourselves as well as for others. One of the directors, now remember when you talk about a culture of wellness, a culture might mean your body and mind, it might mean your desk, it might mean your team, it might mean your office, your school, your ward, whatever it might be. So this one woman who is a director of a shelter came in one day and she said, I've decided that in order 
to try to develop a culture of wellness, I'm going to start taking a lunch break. And she said, I never take a lunch break and it's like way too much. I've got to find another kind of balance. And everyone in the room who did not work at a shelter was completely aghast. And we said, you don't take a lunch break? Like, isn't it in your contract? And she said, oh, it's in my contract, but there's so much to do and it's so overwhelming. And, and it's just like this giant pile of crises. And which said, but I can't go on like that anymore. You know, I'm not creating a very good model for others. And I'm just, I'm in way over my head. I'm depleted. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. So I'm going to start taking a lunch break. And because we were meeting in between retreats, we got to hear progress. So she came in at first and she said, didn't work. She said, I closed the door and somebody crouched down and looked through the keyhole and they saw I was in there. So I didn't get a break. And maybe three weeks later, she came back and she said, it worked. She said, I closed the door and I turned off the lights and I got a break. And I kept thinking that in that whole story, that probably the hardest thing was realizing she needed it and she was going to go for it, that it wasn't selfish, it wasn't wrong. That if you look at the intention behind such acts, there can be a tremendous motivation of healing that will help everybody else. And so we are also included in this story of loving kindness and care and respect, even as we look outward and we keep including others in our team, so too do we include ourselves. Thank you so much for joining me. And we're going to be doing a loving kindness meditation together.